This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Payer Issues Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Peter McCauley, Medical Officer for Cigna Healthcare. Dr. McCauley, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Well, thank you so much, Laura. It's a pleasure to be here. I want to thank you for the invitation, and I want to thank Becker's for the opportunity to serve a guest on today's podcast. Fantastic. Well, I know we've got a lot to talk about, but before we dive into our discussion, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself and your background? I will. I'll start off with a little bit about Cigna, and then I'll go into my background. As you indicated, I serve as medical officer for Cigna Healthcare. For your listeners that may not know, Cigna is a global health services company with 70,000 employees across the world, and 30,000 of those employees are located here in the United States. We administer health care benefits to employers of all sizes with a variety of product lines, including commercial, Medicare Advantage, and individual family plans. A few of our commercial clients that you might recognize their names include Progressive Insurance, Southwest Airlines, J.P. Morgan Chase, and locally here in Chicago, Rush University Health System. Our Evernorth brand houses many of our health service offerings including our pharmacy benefit management company, Express Scripts, Evernorth Behavioral Health, Evernorth Onsite, and most recently, MD Live, which is our virtual healthcare platform. I will talk a little bit about myself and give you a little bit of color related to my background. After 14 years serving as the medical director of a large physician hospital organization in the western suburbs of Chicago, associated with Loyola University, I joined Cigna in 2010 as the market medical executive for the Midwest. Over the last 12 years with Cigna, I've been blessed to take on roles with increasing responsibility. And in my current role as medical officer in our clinical performance and quality unit on the commercial side, I'm responsible for the performance of our value-based relationships across the country. We refer to our accountable care organization arrangements as Cigna Collaborative Accountable Care. In my role, I manage a broad team of market medical executives and nurse executives who work directly with our physician and hospital partners across the country to improve quality while reducing costs and delivering value to Cigna clients like those that I mentioned earlier. This is my 32nd year as a practicing pediatrician, and for the last 23 years, I've been serving patients on the far south side of Chicago at a federally qualified health center. Wow, that's amazing. How do you fit all that in? I have a very supportive family who puts up with a lot. Thanks for (laughs) asking. Absolutely. I I think that's such a key part of any um, type of successful leader is just having that support system on both sides of professional as well as personal. So that's great to hear. Absolutely. Now, uh, considering your role in everything you're doing with Cigna and especially on the value-based care side, what are the top one or two issues that are consuming most of your time today? That's a great question. Consuming time really, to me, doesn't have a positive connotation. I'd rather kind of turn the question around and tell you where I'm spending my time, hopefully having an impact within Cigna and for the greater good. And what I'd like to do is start with Diversity, equity, and inclusion. I've been very fortunate to be involved in the space with the company for the last couple of years, even though the company has been involved in diversity, equity, and inclusion for an extremely long time. 
We certainly understand that the health of those that Cigna serves includes not only physical health, but also emotional, social, environmental, and financial well-being. And for lots of patients, race, economic status, education levels, neighborhood and home safety, access to care and access to healthy food, and even relationships with friends, family, and community are actually obstacles to achieving good health. We know that people with unmet needs are more likely to have chronic conditions, higher rates of depression, more frequent emergency room visits, and more frequent no-show to physician visits. We're committed to cultivating a state of health equity for our members and our communities, and we've been actively engaged in the effort to identify and address social determinants of health and eliminate disparities in healthcare. And what I'd like to do is walk you through in somewhat of a chronological order some of the highlights that have occurred at Cigna over the last couple of years. And I'll break them down into a couple of areas. We'll start out with the customer. We'll talk about inequity in education and medicine, disparities in care, and then our provider community. With regard to customer, in 2018, we developed a proprietary social determinants of health index. This is a relative competent metric that characterizes a community at the census tract level based on the following six domains. They include economy, education, language and culture, health coverage, infrastructure, and food access. A higher social determinant of health index score represents a census tract with a higher level of social determinants where a community is facing more daily living obstacles, whereas a community with a lower index score faces fewer obstacles. We leverage that social determinants of health index to identify under-resourced communities within Cigna markets where overall health status and utilization are impacted by social determinants of health and where additional resources may need to be deployed in the community. We also help identify customers who are at increased risk for poor health status and utilization based on where they live, and we therefore increase engagement and programs to support our customers with the resources they need to obtain optimal health. So think about a case manager as she interacts with a patient who may, for example, have diabetes. When they're reviewing the patient's record in our internal system, they're able to see that social determinants of health index and take that into consideration as they consider programs and services to help the individual patient manage their diabetes, find access to food, and for example, transportation to physician visits. It gives us another tool to really have a 360 view of that patient as we work with them to help them drive toward better health outcomes. When we look at inequity in education and medicine, in July of 2020, we provided a $250,000 grant to the Howard University School of Education to tackle systemic inequity in education by creating a pipeline of superintendents of color specifically trained to lead in urban school districts. And in April of 2021, we partnered with Wake Forest School of Medicine 
to advance equity and equality among the next generation of doctors, nurses, and healthcare workers through a $250,000 endowed scholarship. Shifting now to disparities in care, in July of 2021, we launched the first of its kind collaboration in an academic research fellowship. We partnered with the Society of Black Academic Surgeons to create the first SBAS Cigna Academic Research Fellowship. Dr. Paris Butler, who is a plastic surgeon at Penn Medicine, was selected as the first academic research fellow. And Dr. Butler has a clinical interest in breast reconstruction after mastectomy, and specifically whether or not there are disparities among women of color who have access to and who actually engage in reconstruction after a mastectomy. Dr. Butler will be with us through middle of July of this year, and at the end of the research fellowship, we expect that he, using Cigna internal data, will have a better understanding of whether or not disparity exists in that area and how it can be addressed. And we expect that that will have an impact on our Cigna population, but we also believe that the information derived from this research can help society at large. And we're really looking forward to Dr. Butler's output, and we're very pleased to have him as a participant. And then wow, finally, that, when we, go ahead. I was just gonna say that sounds like a really impressive initiative and just an exciting thing to be a part of and, and really um, have an impact on patient care. Yeah, I think it's really a unique opportunity and it does a couple of things. It allows the academic fellow, in this case, Dr. Butler, to understand the role that physicians can play in a large health plan, but it also gives us, Cigna, access to his clinical expertise in this area where there's a likely disparity, and it will give us the ability to address it in a way that's meaningful and can have lasting value for the clients that we serve. When we think about the provider side, we have been very active over at least the last 10 years or so. We have consistently offered our providers access to insights on communication, family patterns, nutrition, treatment protocols, and ethno-pharmaceutical issues that are relevant to over 60 cultural communities. And that allows the provider to engage in culturally competent training so that they can address the diversity that exists in their patient population. As part of our Cigna Collaborative Accountable Care Program, we also introduced two metrics, 2020, that encourage providers to screen their individual patients 18 years and older for social determinants of health, and also to look at the population that they're responsible for to evaluate whether or not there are disparities that exist, and then to formulate a plan from a population health perspective to address those disparities. And if you think about it, as individuals providing care, whether it's a nurse, a nurse practitioner, a physician, no one wants to be handicapped. If there's something about the patient that's not obvious to the provider of care when you're in front of the patient, the provider would want to know. 
Can the patient afford their medication? Do they have access to refills? Do they have access to safe housing? As I mentioned earlier, if they're a diabetic, do they have access to nutritious foods? Together, we're working internally with our social determinants of health index and our provider community to really allow a focus on things that ultimately impact patient care and ultimately will help us to drive better outcomes. That is one big chunk of my time, and I'm really pleased to be involved in this area with Cigna. And of course, the other, as you can imagine, is affordability. Affordability, of course, is on the top of mind for our clients and those that participate in healthcare as we see the continued increased costs associated with healthcare, it's really our responsibility to work as close as we can with our provider community to make sure that they're delivering the highest value care with the highest quality outcomes and patient satisfaction. And a couple of ways that we do that, of course, is trying to eliminate to the extent that we're possible, that it's possible for us to eliminate fraud, waste, and abuse, really helping patients avoid low and no value care. And then on the other side, helping patients identify high-performing provider networks, and that would include high-performing primary care physicians and then high-performing specialists, and also directing patients to cost-efficient sites of care where access is appropriate and continuity is encouraged. We know that pharmaceutical advances are also driving increase in costs, and we've put our thinking cap on in terms of designing programs, especially around uh, gene-modifying agents like Zolgensma or Lexterna, to really help our clients have access to those medications in a cost-efficient way that allows them to really effectively administer the healthcare benefits in a way that is cost-efficient even though these medications are extraordinarily expensive. And then when we think about access, it's really important for us to continue to look for ways to increase access to care. And one of the things we think about is an alternative front door of care, which we think about in terms of virtual care. And then finally, making sure that we're getting all the efficiency that we can out of our value-based relationships. When I look at the two areas that I'm spending most of my time, it would be diversity, equity, inclusion, and affordability. That, you know, it's just so amazing. And I'm hearing, you know, so many different things that you're working on that have such a huge impact on patient care delivery, and especially looking at the healthcare um, industry in and of itself, trying to deliver better quality, increase access to care, lower costs, and really be high value in everything they do. I can imagine that there, you know, is still a lot that has to be done to get to that ideal, but it sounds like we're a lot closer than we were a decade ago or two decades ago. Yeah, I'd agree. And, you know, if you think about how we can continue to move things forward, I think that part of that is continuing to shift from fee-for-service to fee-for-value. In other words, shifting from rewarding the provider community 
for what they do, how often they do or see a patient, to outcomes in terms of quality metrics that are improving over time if quality is being delivered. When we look at um, our tool belt, of course, one of those primary tools is our Cigna Collaborative Accountable Care Program. We actually started with our first Cigna Collaborative Accountable Care Arrangement with Dartmouth-Hitchcock in 2010, and we currently have over 250 CACs across 39 states, serving over 3 million Cigna customers. Our relationships with our collaboratives allow us to support the groups as they address the clinical needs of an aligned population of Cigna customers. We provide the group with a monthly care coordination reimbursement payment outside of their regular fee-for-service payment, as well as data, information, and analytics, which allow the groups to identify and close gaps in care at the individual patient level, thus delivering care in a more patient-centric mode. These gaps in care are primarily focused on HEDIS-type clinical measures, but they do include several pharmaceutical-dependent metrics as well. Provided that the group is successful in both reducing costs over time and improving quality, the group is eligible to share in a portion of the savings. And in fact, over the last 10 years or so, this model has saved our clients over $600 million. We continue to evolve our model, and we now include an aligned pharmacist option that pairs a specific pharmacist with the group's embedded care coordinator. That embedded care coordinator is an employee of the CAC group that's oriented and trained on the Cigna data and analytics. To pair that pharmacist with the group's embedded care coordinator to further spike out opportunities to improve medication compliance and reduce untoward medication interactions. And that program really allows us to share prescription insights for customers that have both Cigna Pharmacy and Cigna Medical coverage at a level of depth depth that the group otherwise wouldn't wouldn't probably have. So I do think that we have a ways to go, but I think that we're making significant progress. That's really great to hear. And it sounds like you're very much integrated with the providers and the systems and organizations that work with you most closely. But what other opportunities are there for partnerships um, in deep in partnerships or other vital partnerships for payers and providers to really continue transforming healthcare today? Yeah, again, I think that our value-based approach is one of those. And if you think about it, providers understand that costs of care are increasing and they uh, recognize that that's not necessarily sustainable. And our clients recognize that as well. I think providers now understand the need to move not only to fee for value, but also to start discussions around risk, where they're in a situation where if their performance is less than optimal, um, there can be a, a payback situation. And those are serious discussions. But if you think about it, when we, when we look at the journey from fee for service to fee for value, that has to be one area that's included. That makes a ton of sense. And finally, before we wrap up our conversation, where do you see the best opportunities for digital transformation in the payer space? That's another great question. 
You know, I think that if you look at the context of where we are, we know that the healthcare system has been critically stressed by frequency of COVID infections and frequency of individuals visiting hospitals, physicians, emergency rooms, et cetera. And we know that access to healthcare is an issue, whether there's a pandemic or not. And we also know that virtual care is an alternate access point that can deliver value in terms of improving and helping access. And I think that one of the key areas as we think about what you refer to as a digital transformation is leveraging virtual care in order to provide affordable additional access to care. Again, just kind of thinking about context, we know that over the past two years or so, particularly if you look at 2020, probably 75% of customers who had an MD Live visit or with our virtual platform did not have a primary care physician. And two-thirds of those patients without a primary care physician actually learned during a virtual screening that they had a chronic condition. That allowed the patients to address that before the condition got out of control and became more costly. Consequently, when we think about um, leveraging our MD Live asset, we are now able to provide virtual primary care, including preventive care, sick care, routine care, urgent care, specialist referrals, and dermatology, but even more importantly, behavioral health therapy. We know that there has been a tremendous increase in the use of virtual care, up to 154% increase in the first portion of the pandemic. And even though that's decreased now to one to two visits out of every four being virtual, from a behavioral health perspective, we're not seeing that steep a decline. And we know that it's important for patients to be able to have access to behavioral health services in these extraordinarily stressful times. We see use and deployment of virtual care as something that can help us to leverage data and information enhance continuity, and enhance primary care physician adoption. And we think that's a key piece as we move forward with digital strategy. Dr. McCauley, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really fascinating discussion, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Thank you. It was my pleasure.